Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Forrester CX Cast. This is Sam Stern, joined in studio by my colleague Adele Sage. Hi, Adele. Hello, everyone. We've asked you to join us in the studio because we're interviewing a few members of our Customer Experience Council, and you're an advisor for the council. That's right. But our listeners might very well be wondering, and fair play to them, what is the Customer Experience Council? So I was hoping you could tell us. Of course. The Customer Experience Council is part of our leadership boards here at Forrester, where we have peer networks that are aligned with specific roles that people have at companies. And so they get to take advantage of the research and other Forrester expertise, but then they also get to interact with their peers to learn from them. And my cheesy analogy here, so bear with me, I am the mom of an almost two-year-old. So (laughs) it's like a new mom's group in the sense that you you can read the research about how to get your kid to eat and sleep and things like that. What are the experts telling you? But there's nothing like going to your fellow new moms and saying, what's actually working for you? Of course, our members get access to analysts and their expertise and the research they're writing. And then they also have this added layer of getting to talk to their peers about the things that they're working on. And, you know, it's not just for people who are new in the way that a new moms group is, but it does give them the peer perspective on how they're going about the same kinds of initiatives that members of the council are working on. I love that analogy because as a relatively recent parent myself, I think there's so much that you can take away from getting advice from other parents, but also you do see that your situation is unique. So you're taking that in along with the expert advice, along with your own lived experience and comparing it, sort of bouncing all of these things off of each other and getting smarter in that way. Great, Adele, that makes sense. Thank you. And we are also very excited to have a special guest in studio with us. This is Dayton Samerjan across the studio from us, looking us in the eye. Hi, Dayton. Hey, Sam. Hey, Adele. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, great to have you in. And the reason Dayton is able to be here in studio with us, he is just down the road from Forrester headquarters in Framingham. He is the general manager of customer success and customer experience at CA. And Adele and I have some background on your path, your progress, but for listeners who don't, can you tell us maybe start at the beginning, at least the beginning in terms of customer experience for you? How did you first get into customer experience? I kind of feel like I've been in it for my whole life. I mean, I really do. My career started, it feels like 100 years ago in sales. Of course, when you're in sales, you are as close to the customer as you can possibly be. After that, I spent four years or so putting together uh, profitable growth strategies at one of the strategy consulting firms in downtown Boston, which was, again, because it was focused on growth, it was usually deeply involved in customer, customer segmentation type of work. After that, going on to business school, and I have been a chief marketing officer three times in my career. Over the last four years or so, I've been the head of global customer success and customer experience at CA. And so for me, it has been a change in title, I think, if you will. But at the core of it, it's about understanding what customers want and making sure that you're delivering and satisfying them. So I feel like while I've been at that role for four years or so at CA, I've been in it for my entire career. That's a good way to think about it. I I imagine, though, there are some salespeople who uh, don't quite bring that sort of customer-centric perspective to it. When you first took on the role at CA over customer success and customer experience, What was the request to you, Dayton? What was the need and sort of the mission that you were being asked to take on? It started in somewhat of an indirect way. I had just come off running a $2.5 billion business inside of CA that was in decline. I turned it around, got it to grow again through, of course, being customer-centric and making sure we were delivering to customers what was most important to them. And 
I had done a lot of transformation work inside of CA, so a request came to me from Adam Elster, who is the president of the company, asked me to take over support and customer success. And I thought to myself, that's an odd combination, support and customer success. And part of it was that support was in our organization several years back, was in a little bit of trouble. It wasn't performing as well as our customers would have liked it to perform. It certainly wasn't performing as well as our sales force would have liked at the time. So there was some clear transformation and kind of performance acceleration work to be done in there. And then on the customer success side and on the customer experience side, Adam kind of gave me an open mandate saying, look, I know that something in there is important. Some things aren't firing on all cylinders. Can you go in there and with your strategy background, with your general manager background, can you go in there and take a look and figure out what's in there, what's strategic, and what do we need to do next? So I had a kind of a, a split mandate. One was to clean up and transform a specific organization, and one was almost to create a new organization at the same time. So can you take us through sort of the, the trajectory in the last four and a half years of how you've built your program? In order to build the program, it was the confluence of a number of different things. It just started with, there were a lot of anecdotes. Anecdotes around customers and that some customers were super happy with CA at the time and other customers were really unhappy with CA at the time. And so you get kind of those stories wafting through the hallway. The other thing that you have is we had a lot of operational data around support tickets, as an example, and PSAT surveys and tactical kind of touchpoint surveys, if you will. But we didn't have something that really pulled it all together. And so it was at that time that we stood up an NPS program. We wanted to really understand the relationship. We'd had NPS in the past. It was done by an outside vendor. It was done once a year. There was a big report that was generated. There was a lot of activity over the 300-page report. And then it didn't really turn into the actionable insight and outcomes, either for customers or for CA, as we had wanted. And so we stood up our own NPS program and said, we're going to talk to our customers and get this feedback on a regular basis. And so when we had that piece of information, we realized, okay, the voice of the customer was clear. There were some of those inconsistencies. One of the themes that came out was that we were being consistently inconsistent in how we dealt with customers. So there were a lot of these kind of revealing themes that came out. Two other things actually happened at that time, which were kind of fun and certainly very relevant for this crowd here. Somebody, and I actually don't remember who it was, like handed me a copy of Outside In. and said, oh, this is a good book. You should take a look at it. And so as I was um, struggling to make sense of some of our operational information, I got a peek at those 300 pages, and it was illuminating to me. It was like, oh, this is a great framework. This is an important way to think about customers. And after reading it, I realized we had had a missing piece of our corporate strategy, which was the customer experience dimension or vector. And I realized having a strategy consulting background and having done a lot of work on the analytical side, of strategy, I realized this really was a rich breadth of material and really opened up the aperture on the customer and how to think about it more. So I realized something was missing. And so the last step that I did to kind of really build the momentum and courage to build up the program is I headed to New York. Our headquarters happened to be on uh, Madison and 54th and about two blocks away, Forrester holds every year the CX Forum. And so I just rolled into it. Somebody said, oh, you should just go down and check it out. The folks who wrote the book are down there and you know, they might have something interesting to say. And so I spent a couple of days in Manhattan at the first CX Forum, probably about four and a half years or so ago. At the end of it, I'll just simply say I was both excited and inspired because there was such great content. It was illuminating. There were success stories. There were journeys. There was a maturity model. There was a whole approach to take. And I was also completely terrified because it was, it was to a degree, very overwhelming. Yeah. 
There was a lot of information. And I knew on that maturity continuum, we were low. But I also left and walked the three blocks or four blocks actually with one of my colleagues. And we had a nice conversation. And kind of by the time we made it to the bottom of our building, after about 15 minutes of groping through crosstown traffic, we looked at each other and said, we have to do this. Like This is the right thing to do. This is a frame. This is an approach. This is a mandate that we can and should take on inside the organization because it's not going to land necessarily someplace else. And if we don't do it, we don't actually believe anybody else would. And so how do we get this going? How do we stitch it together? And so we actually walked up that afternoon, hit the whiteboard, and started to frame out what we thought the critical pieces were to get a program launched. Wow. That's great. Yeah. That's quite the origin story. And <laughs> one of the few times I've heard people uh, sort of ascribe a positive outcome from all the crowds in Midtown, right? They slowed you down just enough to have time to process that through and say, all right, we've got to do this. So we're going to hit the whiteboard when we get back. Yeah, exactly. So you started with measurement. We started with measurement and we stood that up. And um, one of the first things that we knew that we needed to do is we knew we needed to kind of put it together with a journey map. We didn't actually have a journey map. And the combination of NPS data or relationship data with some operational data structured through a journey map process created what I call the aha moment or the transformational or watershed moment for the entire company. That illuminated for us in one picture all of the narrative of the stories of the conflict between we deliver a great experience sometimes, sometimes it was less than a great experience. It quantitatively showed what customers valued more than others, put it together in kind of almost a performance report card And we were able to wrap around, after doing some in-depth customer interviews, we were able to wrap around a narrative that made complete sense that basically tied together a 40-year-old company, a customer base that's a blue-chip customer base, Global 2000, the best of the best that we do business with every day. And it framed it up in a story that you couldn't ignore. It was the burning platform for why customer experience was so important to us illuminated areas of what we had to do next. So think of that as the business case, the burning platform. We quantified the impact. We took a look at our industry and took a look at the financial reports of competitors who also happened to publish some NPS scores as well. We were able to actually quantify and articulate for our industry uh, the impact, the value of improving customer experience as measured by NPS, its relationship on revenue growth, We then took that model, applied it to ourselves, and as luck would have it, that model held pretty well. And so we started with measurement. We went on to move the business case because in any publicly traded or even privately traded company, nobody's writing checks to anybody who's got interesting ideas. They're writing checks to people who have great business ideas, who believe there's going to be a solid return on investment for those things. And we started to kind of rally the organization, rally the executive team, I rally the senior leadership team and start to take the story out to the employees. So those were probably two of the first big pieces that we had to get stood up. And if we certainly hadn't got those stood up, uh, I don't think I'd be sitting here today with you. So you had clear sort of evidence or case in your mind linkage between if the MPS can go up, we will see that return as value to the business in terms of increasing revenue growth. Yes, absolutely. And I also saw that very clear linkage. And, you know, there's a number of books and articles, Harvard Business Review, a number of books that have been published that talk about it across many industries. But at the end of the day, an executive actually doesn't care about other industries. They care about our industry and specifically about our business. Does this actually matter? Does this work? We had been able to demonstrate that, which I think was uh, critical. And when I talk to people around the industry and they ask for help or ask for insight and feedback, it's usually the number one area that people either stumble 
or have a problem or it ultimately comes back to haunt them, which is not having a clear, compelling case. The last thing I think I had in there, which was timing was good, a new management team had shown up. So we had had a transition in the senior leadership team. CA has been profitable since the dawn of time, but the challenge inside the company was to grow and continue to grow profitably. And so as the management team was putting together what is our growth strategy going to be and and how are we going to achieve it, what's going to be different in how we go to market and our approach this time, this clearly became an important piece. So right place, right time, burning platform for profitable growth, putting a fact-based case on the table that tied all of the narrative, all the analytics together in a thoughtful and compelling way, and then allowed people to say, well, how do I participate? What would you like me to do and how do I get involved? There's some foreshadowing or some giveaway here, as you were sort of just alluding to, the fact that you're still here and you're sitting on this side of the microphone means... Is there any wood in the studio? Yeah, I mean, right. I need to Not, knock on right, something here. Right. <laughs> this, yeah, we don't want this turned into like an exit interview yeah, by any yeah, means. Thanks, but, I appreciate that. Um, so there's been success, right? So tell us a bit about some of the, the four years, some of the results that you guys have seen. I think there's a couple of things from a success perspective. We haven't gone public with our numbers, but our NPS scores over the last four years have been going up significantly Last year, they were up for our our major customer segment that represents about 80% of our revenue. They were up about 70% year over year. We know that we have the flywheel turning. We know that it's our customers that are telling we're delivering a better experience. We also, of course, know we're in the midst of a journey. We still have plenty of room to move forward there. But from a success perspective, I look at those outcomes. That's important. I talked earlier about the relationship between NPS and growth last fiscal year, which closed a few months ago. We had turned the corner from being kind of a slightly declining or flat company to growing uh, for the first time in five years, which is nice. We've guided to the market that we're going to continue to grow with accelerating growth into the marketplace. And so putting those two pieces together, good outcomes for customers, good financial outcome for CA shareholders, better outcomes for employees because everybody wants to do things that make customers happy. It's a win all the way around. As I think about some of the things that are critical in there, The other elements that I feel either blessed or lucky to have is a strong executive team that are believers, that are endorsers of it. They know I'm in the software industry. Customer experience is a a source of advantage people compete on. When you think about software as a service and the SaaS models out there, those are lower margin, uh, lower ASP businesses than the traditional legacy selling, you know, multi, multi multi-million dollar contracts, services and software up front, and we'll see you for renewal in three years. Now we're in a land and expand kind of environment where you have to be delivering value immediately. And if you don't, you're going to have high customer churn. And if you have high customer churn, that business model unwinds very, very quickly. So the competitive environment almost demands delivering a much better customer experience on a regular basis. And if you don't, customers, it's much easier for them to walk away. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, it's a really interesting insight about the changing software customer relationship, right? Software business customer relationship. And again, you know, luck or just good planning, being, you know, prepared for that shift, you guys were ready. We're definitely leaning into it. I was blessed to have an executive that was uh, essentially all in. The other thing that I was lucky at, two other dimensions, which are there's 11,000 employees inside of CA. And after we had kind of done some awareness, I had the, you know, most unusual experience, which was usually you have to make the case for change. You make it to a management team. It's usually about economics. Then you have to go make the case for change for employees and kind of what's in it for me and why should I do this? And delivering a great customer experience is so intuitive because everybody's a customer for somebody on something that all employees can immediately get their head around it. 
And sometimes in, in a technical company, unless you're writing the code or unless you're selling the code, some people feel a little bit disconnected, like, oh, there's nothing I can really do to help improve the outcomes of the company and really drive the top line or drive our success. And using the customer as the rallying point, everybody can. Everybody has an opportunity. So the employees rallied around this very quickly. And lastly, my management team. I am fortunate in that I don't have a large management team, but I have a very strong management team who are all very passionate and committed. So, you know, with that, the circumstances conspired uh, for success. The burning platform for the company was there. The transformation going on in the industry, as we just talked about, it was there. And I was lucky enough to have my management team and executive management team and employees that could recognize it and realize it's something that they could get behind. It's something that they could help make happen. And they are, which is great. Well, that's fantastic, Dayton. It's been a pleasure having you in studio. We really appreciate it. And listeners will post some links to some of the relevant research. And I guess I think as well, the outside in, an oldie but a goodie these days. <laughs> and Dayton, this was great. Maybe we can have you back again on CXCast for a future episode. Sam, it'd be my pleasure. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Adele. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to this week's CX Cast. We'll post links to the reports we mentioned in the show notes for this podcast. And if you have questions or suggestions, please contact me at s-s-t-e-r-n at forrester.com. And remember, your customer's perception is your CX reality.